Welcome to the I Will Teach You a Language podcast, weekly doses of language learning tips and motivation to help you become fluent in any language. With me, Ollie Richards. Hello. Bonjour. Hello. Hello. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the I Will Teach You a Language podcast. Thanks for joining me. It's great to have you here. If you're new here, my name is Ollie Richards, and I have a long background in language learning. I've learned eight languages. I've published over 20 language learning books. And I also have this little podcast, which is all about language learning, where I like to talk about language learning, giving like tips from my own experience, but also bringing on guests such as today's fantastic guest so that you can learn from people who are not called Ollie Richards, I suppose. <laughs> That's always a, a positive. Today's guest is Jillian, commonly known as JJ, as as in JJ Says or JJ Sings, which are two YouTube channels. She is from the US, but has made a life and a career out of learning Chinese. She is quite something. She's a very impressive language learner, very dedicated, and speaks phenomenal Chinese for a start. And in this interview, I'm going to, well, I ask her about a lot of things, and you'll hear me really quite really press her on, on, on quite a few points in her journey about how she learned Chinese, how she learned Chinese characters, why she learns the way that she does. And we also talk a lot about psychology, anxiety, self-esteem, things like that. There's a lot in here for anybody who has ever wondered about how to learn difficult languages like Chinese and always wondered, who has also wondered why it is that actually speaking with people can be so difficult. Anyway, without any further ado, please enjoy this conversation with JJ Says. JJ, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being on. Oh man, thank you so much for inviting me. It really is. It's it's a pleasure. It's an honor, all that. I'm so happy to be here talking to you guys today. Cool. So I was saying to you earlier, um, uh, before we press record, that uh, uh, since I've been doing a lot of um, work looking at various different language learners, uh, or kind of well-known figures in the language learning space, and looking at how they learn languages, so many people in my audience have just kept asking me for JJ's, like get, get you know, do one with JJ, like talk to JJ. And so, yeah, here you are. It's uh, it's it's it's, it's cool to be talking to you. So, um, before we start, maybe you could just give us a little for those who don't know you. Um, maybe you could okay. give us a little potted potted bio of um, who you are and and how, how you tell how you describe what you do. Ooh, a little potted bio, I like that. I like that description. Um, I um, hi everybody. I for those of you who don't know who I am, I am JJ. Well, my name is Jillian, but I generally go by JJ in on the internet. Um, and I am a Chinese language YouTuber. I do a lot of, um, well, I have two channels right now. Um, the first one is JJ says, which is primarily dedicated to, um, uh, speaking in Chinese in various settings, both Mandarin and Cantonese. My Cantonese isn't great, but I'm getting there. Um, and also giving uh, people tips on how to learn languages. And my second channel is JJ Sings, which I started a little bit more recently. And on that channel, I just sing um, Mandarin and Cantonese songs with my mom, which I mean, it's pretty, it's a pretty wholesome kind of experience um, because my mom also can speak some amount of Mandarin Chinese. Um, and so I've been doing this YouTube thing now pretty much full time for I, I guess since since the lockdown started, really, and um, I really love it. I haven't been um, I haven't been uploading on um, JJ says as much recently. I've been doing more of the singing stuff because I've been doing 
a number of different pro projects with Chinese entities and whatnot. Um, but yeah, that's what I do. It's, um, it's, it's wild. It's weird. It's, 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 it's bizarre. It's like a bizarre, it's, it's bizarre to tell people what you do for a living. Everyone's always like, what? Like, I, what are you talking about? But it's fun. I really enjoy it. It is my least favorite question. I said, so what do you do? It's like, well, I don't it's even know what I do half the time. And it changes from one it's year the to the worst. next. So I, <laughs> but it is funny how like doing, yeah. doing the kind of thing that we do, it is strange yeah. how we kind of wander into these strange worlds of, 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 of work and, and, and content and things. So let, let's, let's, let's talk about that. I mean, obviously you're known at least among my audience for your, for your, Chinese, for your yeah. phenomenal Chinese. Um, but oh. let's just talk briefly about, um, about YouTube. What got you into making YouTube videos about Chinese in Chinese in the first place? Yeah. Uh, that's actually a great question because I, um, to be, to be honest with everybody, I, I was never, um, I've never been the, uh, I've never been that person who's, uh, who's, who, who really loves to put myself out there. I've always considered myself more of an introvert. Um, I, I fake it. I fake it well. I fake it well, but I'm not actually an extroverted person. Um, I really keep to myself. I don't like putting myself out there. I, I, I've never had the highest of self-esteem, particular, particularly when it comes to my Chinese ability, because my standard for that is pretty high. Um, so for me to start a YouTube channel was kind of a bizarre thing and something I never thought I would do. I was always certain like, oh man, if I were to create a YouTube channel, like nobody would watch that content. No one would have any interest in anything I would have to say, which is probably not like the healthiest of, of, of mental mindsets, but that's initially how I thought. Um, but I, uh, I had a lot of friends, um, and a lot of people, I just have like a good circle of friends and people around me who were very encouraging and said, you know, you, you should do it. You should try it. I think people would actually be really interested in some of the things you have to say. They might be interested in your language learning tips. They might be interested in your experiences. And, um, I did a little bit of research on YouTube, uh, you know, looking at some other language YouTubers to see, like, do people, is there actually any kind of interest on YouTube in this niche? And um, I, was, I was honestly really surprised with the results. A lot of people were making this type of video, and it was generating a lot of response. So um, I think that was initially, uh, that was the initial catalyst that made me take that step forward. But um, if, if, you, if you had asked me two, three years ago if I ever saw myself doing this, I probably would have said no. When was video number one uploaded? Oh my gosh. I, you know, I don't remember. I, because as I said, I started doing this full time when the whole lockdown situation started. Um, and then before that, I, I, I had periodically uploaded every so often. Um, so maybe I would upload something every, you know, two, three months, something like that. Um, but at that point, I wasn't really focusing on the language learning element of it. I was mostly, um, making just Chinese content for people in China. And I think the majority of those videos were up on Chinese social media and did better on Chinese social media as opposed to on YouTube. Although I think I did, I think, I'm not sure. I think I did put some of those videos on YouTube as well. And that was probably two, three years ago. You know, it's funny how many people I meet who describe themselves as introverts because I am definitely, I definitely describe myself as that. I'm definitely, yes. well, I think actually technically I'm an ambivert is what people have told me, which means I kind of oh, have elements kind of both, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But um, our mutual friend, uh, Shalma, who has a, a very popular 
uh, YouTube channel. He also, yeah. every time I talk to him, he's like, yeah, man, I'm an introvert. And I just like, he, no, you're not. Come I, on. I, I, no, I think he is. I, I, <laughs> but, think uh, no, really I think he is. is too, but you'd never know it, would you, from, uh, from, from watching no. his, his stuff? Yeah, no, he, he's really interesting because in, in person, socially, he is really introverted. Like, uh, it, it, it is quite interesting to see, to see him because he, uh, he, he doesn't really like to be in the spotlight when you're hanging out with him socially. Like if you're hanging out with him and like a few other people, uh, it, it, it's almost like, like the persona he puts online is, um, is completely different from who he is socially. It, it's, it's, it's like, he doesn't want to be the center of attention. He can get a little bit quiet. He has his lulls where like clearly his like social battery is like a little drained and like, he just wants to be quiet for a little while. Um, but he's also a shrewd, he's like a very, very shrewd businessman. And I think a lot of people don't recognize that. He's really good at um, figuring out what people want to see and making that content. And, um, and he knows that this type of persona, this type of extroverted persona, generally gets more clicks than a more introverted type person. So I've actually learned a lot from him because I'm not, I, I feel like naturally I'm, I'm, I'm a lot more like him and sort of had to kind of fake my personality in a way just in terms of how extroverted I actually am. But I do, t- I do too. That's why, that's why I'm very interested to when, when people describe themselves as that. And so yeah, hopefully this can be some kind of encouragement as well for people because I think often language learning correlates with introversion as well. There are a lot of people who, who are not particularly socially outgoing who do enjoy learning languages as a, as a pursuit. And often they're not even that interested in, in, in speaking with people. They just enjoy the process of language learning. So hopefully it will be encouraging for people to know that there are people you know, like, like us out there who are definitely introverted but can still... Uh, you know, create content in, in, in different ways. Oh yeah. I, I completely agree with you. And I think that was, um, that was probably one of the main reasons I, I got so into Chinese in the first place. Um, I, I started learning for the first time when I was in high school because I was flunking Spanish. I was doing terribly. And my only other options were French and Chinese. And I was like, if I can't do Spanish, there's no way I'm going to do French. It's just, it's like Spanish, but way harder, right? Like I can't, I can't, I can't do that. So I was like, okay, well, if I don't want to completely flunk, I'll, I'll do Chinese. And oddly enough, like I fell in love with it. You wouldn't have thought for someone who's bad at Spanish to have loved Chinese, but like, I really did love it. And I think that in high school, I was a real dork. Like I was, I was not popular. I was really self-conscious. I mean, all teenagers, all teenagers are self-conscious, but I was ridiculously self-conscious and I had a few friends, but I wasn't very popular. And I think, um, I used Chinese as a way to, to, to kind of cope with that. Not, and when I say cope, maybe that's not the right word. Cause it's not like I was like sitting in my room crying or anything like that. It wasn't like anything like that. It was just more like, um, while people were out socializing, I was just sitting in my room learning Chinese. I don't know. I just, I found it really comforting. I think it was a way for me to deal with a lot of that social anxiety that I had. You, you've done, you've made the perfect pivot for me because I wanted to, I wanted to get oh, into wonderful. how you, how you, how you first um, got into to Chinese and, and you've already kind of described right. the, the beginning there, which is, which you, you might think is unusual, but actually based on the, um, some of the, the, the work I've done recently in looking at people who have achieved very high levels in difficult languages. This is a lot more common than you might think. I've, I've, I've identified this kind of inflection point that happens often around the kind of, you know, for a lot of people around the kind of 14, 15 years old, where yeah. there's like a, a combination of a kind of, uh, some kind of 
social unease or, 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 you know, not being sure who you are, that kind of thing. Plus fascination with another language. And it's often, it's often Asian languages as well. I've seen this happen most often with Chinese and, and Japanese. So talk, talk a bit more about what it was or what, what Chinese, what start, what beginning to learn Chinese meant for you in the context of that, um, that introversion and that, and that, that, that difficulty that you were having. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, so as I said, I started taking Chinese probably when I was about, uh, I was taking it in school when I was probably about 16, 17 years old, something like that, uh, because I was flunking Spanish. And um, I remember for the first few months, I didn't take it very seriously at all. I, I didn't enjoy it very much. Um, but then I, I think about three or four months in, my, my first Chinese teacher, um, initially when we started learning for the first three months, we were just learning some of the sounds. We were just learning some of the, you know, the basic things like ni hao, ni hao ma, you know, just like th those super basic, simple things. But we weren't learning how to read or write. We were only learning how to speak. And I think my, I think that teacher was actually a little bit hesitant to get us into characters because I think my class didn't really take it very seriously. Like, I don't think anyone in the class was that interested in Chinese at the time. So I could tell she was a bit hesitant to start us learning characters because we already didn't seem to be taking it too seriously. Um, but she did it anyway. About three months in, she started um, teaching us. I think she gave us a list of 20 of the most basic Chinese characters. And I remember thinking like, oh, this is so stupid. Like, I don't, I don't want to learn this. We're going to be tested on this. This is so stupid. Um, because, you know, I was a surly 16 year old kid, you know, like I just, everything is stupid when you're 16, you're just so emo. Um, so I remember sitting down with this list. I actually, I, I actually remember the catalyst. Like I remember the exact moment I was with my best friend who to this day is still one of my best friends. Um, and she was doing some sort of extracurricular thing at a different school. And I said, I would wait for her. She said she would only be there for about an hour or two. I said, I would wait for her. And while I was waiting for her, I was like, I might as well kill some time here. Um, so I might as well just take out this stupid list of Chinese characters and start learning. And um, this was the first moment in my life I've ever had one of those uh, like in the zone moments. Do you know what I mean? I had never had those before. I, I had heard of them, but I had never been in one personally myself. And um, I remember I just started looking at these characters and, and learning them and writing them. And my, my friend, my best friend was back in, in three minutes. It felt like three minutes. She had been gone for two hours, um, but it felt like no time had passed at all. And I, I couldn't believe that. That was bizarre to me. Nothing like that had ever happened to me before. And I said, oh my gosh, like, if, 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 if learning these little symbols can make me feel like that, there could be something here, there could be something to it. Um, so I started to take the character learning element very seriously. I remember I, I went and bought a, a book specifically dedicated to learning Chinese characters. And um, then I was off to the races. It was from that moment on, I, I, was, I was obsessed. I, I just wanted to learn more Chinese characters. I wanted to feel that way again. I wanted to be in the zone again. And um, initially, that was what got me into it. And uh, after being obsessed with characters for a little while, I started to get more into the actual um, speaking and um, listening elements. 
Am I right in thinking that you went to study Chinese at university after that? I, I did. I did. So I, I, uh, I went to Taiwan to study afterwards because I, I, at that point, you know, again, I was 18 years old. I had no real idea what I wanted to do with my life, but I knew that I loved Chinese and I knew that I wanted to speak it as much as I possibly could. Um, and so that's what prompted that decision for me to study abroad. And did you do a full three or four year course yeah, in Taiwan? I, I, yes, yes, I did. And then I and then I came back and I had a period of time where I, uh, I, I didn't study Chinese at all. I didn't use my Chinese at all. And um, then I got back into it again very seriously um, about a year or two ago. What stopped you? Why did you stop using your Chinese? You know, it's a, it's a good question. I And I've thought about that a lot. I think... I, and again, I think this is sort of like a, this, this, this ties a little bit into self-esteem. I had such a high standard for myself. I had a phenomenally unrealistic standard for myself. Um, you know, I remember when I was in China or, you know, yeah, I remember like there would be some foreigners who had only been studying for like three, four months and their Chinese was absolutely terrible, but they were super confident. They would just go and I mean, you, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with this. There's, I'm, I'm sure you are. I'm sure you've come across this. Like people who think they're way better than they are at a language. Well, it's, it's called the Dunning-Kruger effect where you, oh, your, your perception of, of, of your level is, is, is far higher than the reality of where it actually the, is. The, uh, yes, I saw, I remember uh, the Dunning-Kruger effect. I saw an after-school video about that on YouTube recently. It is, it's very interesting. Um, so I, when I, was in, when I was in China, I saw a lot of people suffering from that. And, um, and I, I remember I, I, I was, I was equal parts, I was equal parts enamored, but also equal parts annoyed. I was like, wow, you know, like so that level of self-confidence probably would really benefit me because I've always been a, a person that struggled to be confident in myself and my abilities. But at the same time, you know, you've only been studying three or four months, like you, your accent is terrible. Like you're like, you have like the most limited vocabulary, you know? So, uh, it was, it was a, a, a real love hate relationship with those type of people. Um, but, uh, I, I think that there, as I said, there is something to be learned from those people though. Um, because th that level of self-confidence can actually be, um, quite useful to you in terms of motivation, in terms of improvement, your ability to improve. And I think, um, as I said, my standard for myself was so blasphemously perfectionist high that I would sometimes get to a point where I, I did get to a point where I thought my Chinese should be better than this. I absolutely should be better than this. My tones should be better. My grammar should be better. I should know more idioms and expressions. And I felt really ashamed of myself, to be quite honest. And I think my way of coping with that was to just stop studying altogether for a period of time. Um, and I, re I regret that. I regret it. Presumably, your Chinese must have been pretty damn good by the time you got back from university in Taiwan. It was it it it, it was good. I would say it was it, it was good. It could have been better. I mean, I think it can always be better. I still I still think I have I, I I try to do classes as regularly as I can now because I still think there are so many improvements to be made. I'll I will never speak it like an English speaker, right? Was it four years of pure immersion in Chinese? classes in yeah, Chinese, everything in Chinese. For, for the most part, it was. For the most part, it was. There were some, um, there were some English classes that I took. I actually remember uh, a required class was, was in, you know, was a language class, quote unquote. Every class for me was an, a, a language class. 
but um, I, I sort of, the, the foreign students kind of had the same sort of, uh, we had the same standards that the, that the Taiwanese students had. So um, I had to take a language class. Um, and the only language available was English. Uh, and I remember that was hilarious because in English class, obviously, you know, I, I was in that class with a few other Westerners, I think like with another American and a Brit. And, um, I think we just like slept through the class and the teacher wasn't even mad about it. She wasn't mad. You know, she knew. She was wondering what's the point of these guys. Of she these didn't guys care. No, you know, we, I think we just slept through that class and, and she, she, you know, she got it. She didn't pick on us. I, I think like we barely even had to do the homework because she's like, you speak better English better than me and I'm the teacher. So. And what were you um, actually, what was your, what was your major in what, at, at that university? It was, it was Chinese. It was Chinese language and culture. Chinese language and culture in Chinese. Yeah. It was, yeah. And, um, and again, as I said, I, uh, well, no, I didn't say this, but I, I actually do have some regrets because when I was there, and again, I think a lot of this has to do with my introversion, I was so petrified of trying to make friends there that weren't Western, or, or I guess that didn't speak English as a first language. I was so petrified to practice my Chinese with people um, because I thought people were going to make fun of me. I thought I was going to make mistakes. I thought I was just going to be the butt of a joke. So a lot of my friends, while I were uh, while I was there, were um, were the other foreigners in my class. So a lot of Americans, a lot of English people. Um, I think there were a few Irish people there too, Canadians, um, and that's a huge regret of mine. Uh, I and I think again, as I said, primarily I just did that because I was I was shy. I was I was too shy to step outside of my comfort zone at that point and speak to people. I was too shy to make those mistakes. Um, and if I could go back and do it again, I, I definitely would have tried to put myself out there more. I think my Chinese was, you know, it was good by the time I left, but I think it could have been a lot better, to be honest. So you were studying in Chinese, but you weren't really making Chinese friends. So your social life was still right. in English while you were there. Interesting. You know, Since I can relate. Part it was, yeah. I can relate so much to what you described there with uh, the emotions that were stopping you actually putting yourself out there yeah uh, and I, I i've often felt and i've had i've had this in so many so many language situations where i am the only person stopping me from speaking as much as i want practicing as much as i want making as many friends as i want and it's all in my head because and i think i describe it in exactly the same way as you it's it's a kind of embarrassment it's factor mm -hmm. it's a it's the fact that I set high standards for myself. I know that my language level isn't there. And so I'm kind of have this irrational fear of, well, and I know this would never happen, but I still think, well, I, I, you know, there's a, there's a barrier to going and starting to talk to people and meet people because I feel, I know I'm going to make mistakes. I know they're not going to laugh at me, but there's still this kind of irrational fear that, that they are. And I'm at least, at I'm, least internally. Right. And then there's this, there's this permanent fear that, that depending on the language and where you are, that, you know, I'm going to put myself out there, try and speak, try and try and talk to somebody. And then there's, they're just going to reply in English. And then you've got this hideous kind of battle, like power struggle back and forth of like, what language are we speaking in? That is the worst. Yeah. It, it, isn't it funny how, how, how our psychology is, can, can just, could just cause us so many, so many problems. Well, it, it, it's, it's, it's self-sabotage really. It's self-sabotage. Completely. Completely. And then, the, but the worst part, as you said, was next to you, then you've got these people who are 
nowhere near as good as you at the at the language, but have just no doubts whatsoever. They just go and they just yeah. they just speak, talk to people, put themselves out there. And as a result, it's often those people who end up making more progress because they just get more exposure. Right. They make friends and they just get more kind of airtime exactly. with the language. Exactly. That's exactly right. So that's why I've always had kind of like a love-hate relationship with those people. Because, yeah, at first it's like, oh, you know, you're not that good. Like, I don't know why you're so, like, what are you so cocky about, right? But then in three, four months, maybe they're actually better because they are the ones that are more willing to put themselves out there. And they are more willing to, um, I guess, just take those hits. Like, if they make a mistake and let's say somebody does laugh at them, they just simply don't care. You know, it doesn't matter to them. They're just kind of like, yeah, whatever. Like, I don't care. I'm, I'm, I'm just having a blast. I'm just having a good time. I'm just rolling with it. I'm rolling with the punches and having a good time. And um, yeah. And so ultimately, I, I kind of wish to a certain degree, I, um, I kind of wish I had been a little bit more of that person during my time there. But I think the other thing that kept me from that is there, while I was there, there was such a stereotype against Western people specifically that... Um, that we were like that, particularly Americans. You know, of course, I'm, 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 I'm not ignorant to what we look like on the world stage to other people. Um, and Americans can look, you know, people think that we're really demanding, we're really, we're really cocky, we're really loud, we want to be the center of attention. Wherever we go, we just, you know, we want everyone to just, like, cater to us and speak English all the time. Um, you know, and just being aware of that stereotype I was very cognizant of um, foreigners that were acting like that, that were being particularly gregarious or particularly confident because I didn't want to, I guess I, I, I didn't want to seem like we were fulfilling this particular type of stereotype. Um, but, you well, know, we, I guess we, in, we in the UK have, we in the UK have that exact same problem because <laughs> we're not, uh, British oh, really? people are not, are not the best uh, foreign exports, especially, um, especially in certain parts of the world. So I, I completely, I completely sympathize. Oh yeah, I've I've heard stories about you guys. Uh, you go, you do your uh, stag do's, and yeah, a, a bit embarrassing, eh? Um, so yeah, so I think I, I think just being very cognizant of that stereotype, I wanted to be very careful. I didn't want to seem like I fit that stereotype, but at the same time, even though there are some things that are bad about that, that it's not to say all Americans are like that or all Brits are like that, because obviously we're not. It is just a stereotype at the end of the day, um, but even for argument's sake, let's say we were all like that. Um, the, although there are some negative things that go along with that, absolutely, there are some positive things as well. Um, and I, I think we just covered them. If you sort of, if you have that much confidence in yourself and you can just take those hits and you don't really care if, 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 if someone laughs at you, uh, you're more likely to improve. Um, it's a fantastic life skill. I wish, I mean, I wish I had more of that just in English, like let alone in, in other, in other languages. Yeah. yeah that's, that's really, rough, really for rough for me. For I mean, I've, I've really always struggled with, with self-confidence and I've always struggled with, um, I, I guess, uh, I have struggled with believing in my abilities, you know? And, um, and so, and so with Chinese language specifically too, I've just always been really, really hard on myself. Um, very, very hard on myself. And uh, it's been a great learning experience these last two years. I've tried to sort of like lighten up on myself a little bit and just really enjoy the process and not try to and not be so super judgmental of myself. And since I started doing that, um, I'm I'm just I, I think my language ability is actually drastically improving, and I'm just I'm I'm having a really good time. So you've clearly got got managed to get over that, 
and to the point where now you're you're happy Mostly, to you know, yeah. release re- well at least to the point where you're you're happy to release youtube videos of yourself speaking chinese yeah. which is v- sure, a, a big a big change right? i think we can we can we can yeah. agree so what was it that took you from the jj who comes back from taiwan just yeah speaking good chinese but but very um uncomfortable in her own skin almost yeah and then the exactly. jj of the jj of today who can be this outgoing and confident with her chinese how do you account for that difference or that development yeah i uh that's that's actually a really good question i um i think it was a it's always been um it, it it's been it's been a gradual process i think part of it is just um is a symptom of getting a little bit older. I think sometimes just as people get a little bit older, they just get more comfortable with who they are and they just stop caring what other people think. I think that's definitely part of it. Um, I think another part of it is I, at, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I love speaking Chinese. I love learning Chinese. It is, it will always be probably my all-time favorite hobby it is still to this day the only thing that can really take me out of wherever I am and put me in that zone it's I can only feel it when I'm studying Chinese up until this point of my life it's the only thing that does that for me um so I genuinely love the language so I think um I I just I I sort of was realizing that this this perfectionistic standard I had for myself and this self-consciousness and this judgmental voice in the back of my head always telling me that I wasn't good enough and my language ability should be better and I should be em- embarrassed with myself. I think I, I recognized that that was doing nothing for me. If, if my primary goal is to study this language that I love and to genuinely get as good as I can speaking this language that I love, those negative voices, are they, they serve absolutely no purpose for me. Um, so I think whenever I started, it, I, a, a lot of it is uh, being mindful, really, you know, to use a buzzword. A lot of it is being mindful, just sort of recognizing when those voices start, when you feel, oh, God, like I should have known that word. How could I forget to say this? You're so stupid. When those voices start, you have to be cognizant of them and, and manually stop them. So you have to actually say to yourself, you know what? No, not today. This serves no purpose for my, my primary goal. We're not doing that today. What is, what is another way we can handle these feelings that is uh, positive, right? Um, so that's, can you that's talk me through a situation where, that, where you had to actually use that self-intervention? Yeah. Oh my goodness. It, it, it doesn't happen as much anymore. It, it, it still happens from time to time, of course, uh, but it, it used to be much more present. Um, and it would be literally, I, I, I mean, everything was a trigger. It would be every time I had a Chinese class, every time I was speaking with a Chinese person and they responded to me in English. Um, you know, if I, if my tones were wrong on a word, if I couldn't remember a particular word, if um, there, there was an idea I wanted to convey and I couldn't do it, even if it was a very, very complex idea, if I couldn't convey that idea, oh my God, you're such an idiot. How do you not know how to say this? What is wrong with you, you know? And it, it, it would happen all the time because my, my standard for myself was so unrealistically high that every time I made a mistake, I would feel that way. And... Um, I think I just, I, I, I started taking a step back and every time those voices would come up, you know, I would say something like, okay, it's fine, Jillian, it's absolutely fine. Um, 
you know, you, you didn't know that word or you forgot that word, that's okay. This is actually exciting because this is a new word for us to study later tonight, right? So then I would like write it down or put it in, you know, my Chinese dictionary on my phone and I would bookmark it and I would be sure to study it later. So instead of calling myself stupid and just ignoring the problem and trying to run away from that uncomfortable feeling of perfectionism, I would take action and I would actually write that word down and be sure to actively study that word. So I never had that problem with that particular word again. And ever since I started doing that, uh, things have completely changed for me. I have Chinese classes almost every day now to try and keep improving online. I do all my classes on italki. I talk about it all the time because it's my absolute favorite platform for it. Um, and I take classes every day and I genuinely love it. Every time I take a class, I love it. And, uh, if there's something I don't know, and there's so much, I don't know, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good at communicating almost anything I want to communicate, but, um, of course there are always new vocabulary words, new idioms. And, um, instead of feeling stupid, I feel excited. You know, whenever teacher gives me a new a new something. I always write it down and I, I can't, I can't wait to, to study it, you know, the next time I'm doing an Anki study session or something like that. So, um, I'm curious, yeah. how do you, um, how, with those daily lessons, because yeah. I know what the life of a, of a, of a content creator is like, you're busy, you're always doing things, you're always moving around. How yeah. do you on a, on a practical level make daily lessons work and then, and then not become a burden? So that's a great question. Uh, for me, you know, ultimately my, my main goal, as I said, my primary goal is of course I, 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 I love making content. Um, but my primary goal is to make my Chinese as good as possible. That's what I want to do. That's, that's what makes me feel happy. That's what makes me feel good about myself. Um, so for me, prioritizing those lessons, uh, isn't, isn't, it, 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 it isn't a chore, you know, it's something I, I really want to do. Um, because I've sort of, I've, I've really kind of changed, uh, my relationship with how I feel about myself and, um, how I, how I feel when I speak Chinese. And it's a complete 180 from what I just described. I actually, I love it now. I love it. And I embrace the challenge with the sense of, I always have something to learn as opposed to, oh my gosh, I'm so stupid. I don't know that. So because I've created this positive feedback loop for myself, it's actually very easy to keep that momentum going and um, prioritize scheduling classes for myself every day. It's all about positive feedback loops. Everything's about positive feedback loops. If you are able to create that positive feedback loop for yourself, it is easy to do those things every day, whether it's studying, going to the gym, whatever. You just have to get into that habit and feel good about yourself and what it is you're doing. You know what's so interesting about this is that most people that I meet who, who have reached a very high level in, in, in a language, the pattern is usually the same. And it is they get to a high level early on the language becomes part of their life they are the language the language is them etc cetera, etc cetera. and then as time goes by it just becomes like a part of life and you know you kind of go through life with that language and you feel exactly. you enter this period of kind of diminishing returns with study because you know you can spend a lot of time studying but add comparatively little to your level in the language but what's interesting about Absolutely. you is that you've kind of gone the opposite way. And actually, as you've, as you've got older, you're actually leaning into it even more and taking it more, more seriously. And my sort of interpretation of what you're saying is that you've, you've found your 
you've always kind of rediscovered your 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 why um mm. but you're kind of but you're able to you're, you're able to actually make the, you've discovered how the language fits into your life at, at, at this point in your life and, and how it makes your life better which i think is really fantastic mm. Oh yeah, it, it, it's it you know it, it's phenomenal because when I'm in class and we're discussing some very complex topic, it's very exciting for me if I have this idea, this very sort of detailed, nuanced idea I want to convey, and I can probably convey about ninety percent of it, ninety-five percent of it, but there's maybe a word I'm missing, um, or uh, some sort of phrase I'm missing, or something like that. But because I can convey ninety to ninety-five percent of what I'm trying to say, my teacher will finish it for me. And then, you know, she'll give me the, just the most, oh, the most beautiful sentence, the most beautiful phrasing for it. And then I have it in front of me, you know, like I have in front of me the, the answer, like this is a 100% the exact correct way I can convey this incredibly difficult idea that I couldn't convey before. And for me, there, something about that feeling is very, very exciting. I just, I just, I love, I love, I love communicating now. I love connecting that fear I used to have before it's just, it's not as prevalent for me anymore because I've sort of just changed. I, I'm not focusing so much on the ego element of it. It's more, I'm communicating and I'm communicating effectively. This is so exciting. And I mean, I think that's ultimately what the primary purpose of, of, of language learning really is. And I think when you're able to really discover the beauty and the joy in that, I think that's, that's when that passion, that, that passion really uh, comes back. I'd like to go back now to when you were actually in the kind of active learning stage of Chinese. Obviously, you're still actively learning. I get that. Yeah. But, but, you know, you know what I mean? When you were actually first putting the building blocks in place. When it was like, yeah, when it was like you couldn't think in Chinese, you would have to like be like actively like what comes next. Right. And I, and I want to ask about the, the, the methods that you use specifically. Now, obviously, I, I know that methods and activities and things change a lot over time and you do different things. Sure. But um, talk to me first about your how you learn Chinese characters mm-hmm. in the broadest sense because I'm assuming that it was a process of a number of years I know you said earlier on that you that you took it very seriously but describe yeah. describe to me um in kind of just broad brushstrokes how you learned the bulk of your of your of your character knowledge you know that 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 really hard work where you're learning the first couple of thousands characters describe to me what that process looked like and what you did specifically to learn those sure um so 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 as i mentioned a little bit earlier um it was the the only the the first in in the zone moment i ever had was when i was learning chinese characters it was my first time sitting down with a list of chinese characters and that hasn't gone away um it Specifically, I would say learning Chinese in and of itself can really take me out of life and really put me in that zone, really put me in that like place of just feeling like I'm in the flow. But um, but but characters specifically really really do that for me. Um, so it was always a joy for me to sit and you know memorize twenty to thirty characters a day because that was my me time. That was my meditation time. I could just take two, three hours in a cafe and completely zone out while I write these characters over and over and over again. Um, and I think ultimately a lot of people don't like this answer because it's kind of boring for a lot of people and there isn't really a quick shortcut. 
when it comes to learning characters, but rote memorization, and in, in my experience anyway, rote memorization is the only real way to do it. Um, you just need to, I mean, yeah, especially if you want to be writing, especially like if you're just reading it, you still probably need to rote memorize, but if you're actually writing it and remember it from memory, you, you absolutely have to rote memorize. Um, and there's really no way around that. So I would spend, as I said, probably two to three hours a day learning 20 to 30 new characters. And I would just write them out over and over and over again. I would just get a coffee, sit in a coffee shop. I'd be there two, three, four hours writing over and over again, over and over again, over and over again. And I, uh, I, I think that a lot of, yeah, as I said, a lot of people don't like that answer because if, if you don't like doing that, if, if that's just not something you enjoy, Chinese might not be the language for you because there's really no way around it. So uh, three questions, just, three questions I've got at this point. Yeah. <laughs> that's, I'll try, I'll try, I'll try and not lose people in, in, in the process. But so question sure. number one is, question number one is if you're learning 20 to 30 characters a day, how are you yeah. avoiding forgetting the ones that you did like two or three weeks ago? Right. So that is, that's a phenomenal question. So now what I, uh, what I do for that, my good friend, Matt, who also has a, a YouTube channel actually turned me onto this and I wasn't doing it before. And he's got phenomenal Japanese. Matt's an, an incredible guy. Um, I haven't talked to him in a while, actually. I should probably send him a message. Um, but anyway, he put me onto Anki, which is, um, one of those space spaced repetition programs where, you know, you put your, I'm sure people who watch this know what Anki is, you know, you put your, uh, you put your characters or you put your new vocabulary words in and it will do the space repetition thing and throw these words back at you over the course of however long in order to enhance your ability to remember these words over a long period of time. So that's what I do now. So what I did at that time, Anki wasn't really a thing. I wasn't using it. Um, at that time, I would just look at my vocabulary lists. So first, it would be the vocabulary lists in my textbooks. And just every so often, periodically, I would go back and look at the vocabulary lists and go over them and write them again. Um, but after that, like, after I get, got over the, the textbook, because at a certain point when you're learning a language, like textbooks really don't do it anymore, usually, for you. You usually need to start accumulating your own lists from real life material. And so then I would just manually write out these, you know, I would just write out these lists for myself in a, in a notebook. And every so often I would just go back to these lists. You know, if I didn't have anything new that I was learning that day, I would go back to an old list and I would just go over it. Um, so I didn't really have any particular type of system. It wasn't like, oh, you know, on this day, I'm going to go back to this list or it wasn't anything like that. I would just sort of skim through my lists and if it looked like there were any words I wasn't really very clear of, I would just, you know, sit with my coffee or whatever, write it out 30 times, 40 times, however many times I needed. So you've already answered my second question, which was, were you just learning characters one by one or were you dealing with complete vocabulary, you know, compound words and things like that? And you were doing vocabulary, it sounds like. Right. So with that, you always have to start with individual characters. Anyone who's learning Chinese, I think primarily, well, not anyone, but certainly the way I started was I learned characters one by one. So I would learn individual characters, you know, like flower, big, small, water, sky, you know, I would learn those individual characters first just to give myself some sort of a foundation. How many? And, oh goodness. Probably about maybe I would say probably one to 2000. 
I would, pr- that's a guess. I, I'm not certain of it. I would, I would probably guess I learned one to two, probably, no, probably not two. I would say it was probably a foundation of about 1,000 um, standalone characters, 1,000 of the most basic Chinese characters. And then I started building on that foundation with actual compound words. Okay. Yeah. So I just, I just wanted to get a picture, together. a picture of the, of the kind of trajectory. Cause there are so many different ways of, yeah. of approaching learning characters. And some of the most, some of the biggest arguments you see on the internet are about how to learn, how to learn Chinese characters and everyone's yeah. got their own. I find it so interesting how people get so heated. These debates the yeah. get so heated. And so this is, uh, this is very interesting. And my, 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 the third thing I wanted to ask you then is because for me, the question is it's a, this, this question of how to approach a task so big as learning Chinese characters is oh, yeah. I, I really don't think I resist the idea that there is a hack or a shortcut or something simple because the task itself is so big, There's which means not. that whatever There's approach not. you choose, you've got to have this raw motivation and persistence to, to get there. So I'm kind of, right. as with most things in life, it's like, yeah, you can talk about the technique, but ultimately you've just got to, you know, just, just get on with it, do and, it. And, and do it. Just get on with it. But what do you say to the, so the, the, the if you've, what you've described here is rote memorizing characters, mm-hmm. the kind of opposite school of thought, which I hear a lot mm-hmm. of from people who have been through the process and swear by it is the idea that you, uh, you use a kind of uh, compound, um, a kind of radical compound mnemonic structuring thing where you basically try to, try to learn radicals and then characters in a sequence using Mm -hmm. mnemonics such that such that you basically shortcut a lot of the manual work and the inefficiencies of learning characters one by one so what's your what's your take on on that um i don't think that sounds like a bad idea honestly um i because I agree with what you just said. I think at the the end of the day, it is such a gigantic task. You you just have to get on with it. You just have to do it. You just have to do something. Um, and I think that, um, probably if, you know, if I had to guess, I think different, I think different methods are still going to effectively get you there. Um, as long as you're putting the work in. Um, so I, I know, I, I, I kind of have an idea of what you're talking about. Like people are learning it specifically by, you know, they look at the radical, like maybe today, what, like we, we learn characters with the, you know, with the, with the water radical today. Is that, is that what you mean? Kind of like that? Yeah. That, that, and the idea that you can, that once you, because everything at the, at the end of the day is a compound of some kind, right? If you learn these in a certain efficient exactly. order that, that, that can kind of, that, that can shortcut the process. Um, the, the Heisig right. books are kind of the, 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 as I understand it, the, the kind of starting point of a lot of this stuff. So, oh yes. What, uh, didn't he do, did he do one for Japanese as well? That's right. Yeah. What, what was his name? Is that the, uh, Heisig, H E I S I G. He did one for Chinese, one for Japanese. Oh, my, my mom, we had these books. We had these books years and years ago. And my mom was really quite fond of this method. Um, the, the sort of the mnemonic device thing where it's kind of like when you look at this character, like it makes you think of this thing, right? I think mnemonic devices aren't bad. I think that's a great idea. I think that can be very helpful with a lot of different things. Uh, my mom, for example, really liked it. She liked the usage of mnemonic devices when she was learning characters. She really liked these books. Um, I say these books because we had one in simplified Chinese and we had the traditional one as well. Um, the reason I didn't love it 
Um, I actually, I remember I did use those books, but I didn't use any of the mnemonic devices. I, I remember I would, I, I would wrote, memorize the characters as I saw them, but I wouldn't use the mnemonic devices because I think for me personally, and everybody's different, but for me personally, it was so many characters. I couldn't remember the mnemonic devices for every single one. You know, I think those Heisek books you were talking about, it was like the first, like the, the, the first 1000 most common Chinese characters or something like that. And, um, it was difficult for me to remember 1000 mnemonic devices. I just couldn't, my mom loved it. I didn't. So for me, I was like, eh, these mnemonic devices, I, it, I'll just, I, you know, I've got to memorize something anyway. So I think I'll just memorize the character. I'll just memorize the character as it's written, you know? I don't need to mem remember a mnemonic device on top of that. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, yeah, I, I, I do. Um, but that's just so, individual preference. That's individual preference. Yeah, and I think a lot of this is going to be understanding how your brain works and, and, then, yeah. and then making the most of, of that, right? So people, some people have visual memories, other people have more kind of technical memories and, 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 sure. and so on and so forth. So it's quite likely that, you know, if you had been a different type of person that you, you may have tried that and then really loved it and... Uh, and, and and gone down gone down that route, but it just kind of, it just kind of confirms for me the idea that actually nobody should take as gospel any particular approach to learning Chinese characters. You just got to you've got to find what seems to gel with you, and then just buckle up for just, a couple of you years. Have, <laughs> you 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 just have to do it. You literally it it doesn't matter how you do it. You just have to do it. There is no, as far as I can tell, there is no shortcut. There's no way to, I mean, if you, if you even look at kids like in China in school, like that's what they do. They just write it over and over and over and over again. There's really no way around it. There's just this sort of like a, you just, I don't, I don't know. You just get yourself a coffee or a snack or some tea and you just sit down and write over and over and over again, you know? Um, and if that's not something you like doing, then I don't know, Chinese probably isn't the language for you, at, at least not the writing and reading elements, because I don't really think there's any way around that. Um, yeah, but, uh, but, 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 you know, as far as mnemonic devices go, actually, I do to this day still take into consideration things like that. I just wanted to make this clear. It's not that I never use mnemonic devices because I sometimes do. Um, and, and I, I, I sort of, I use mnemonic devices as the, as the radicals, you know what I mean? So like if it's, it's, you know, if, if whatever you're dealing with a character that's pertaining to something plant related, you know, and then you have like the little, you've got the little, you know, the little grass particle on top or something like that. The little, the, the little grass radical. I do use those. Yeah, I, I, I do. I do really enjoy radicals. I think they're, they're, they're a really good starting off point. The, the reason I ask the reason I ask about exactly what you what you did is because I often notice that there's a tendency among online language language learners or people who talk about language online. There's it's often yeah. the case that if you look at the way when they give language learning advice to people, mm -hmm. it's often the case that that's not actually what they did back in the day when they learned their first languages. And that's it, right. I, and I find this very interesting because that's the same for me in a lot of cases with my own languages. I think it's the same with a lot of people. And you've got this strange dynamic where often when we're young, we kind of have this, the time, the space, the energy, the dedication, the irrational passion necessary to just <laughs> learn stuff. And we do stuff often in a very inefficient way, um, but it's just, but it worked. It worked for us. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, wind the clock forward 10, 20 years or whatever. Mm. 
you you have a different head on your shoulders and you take a more philosophical mm. view of not just language learning but of life right and so if you then give advice to people about learning it's kind of difficult to advise people to do stuff the way you did because like i wouldn't advise anyone to do what i did when i was 18 years old <laughs> like i was i was an idiot yeah, when I was 18 who years would? Old. yeah so right? was i so I, 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 so I always like to kind of go back to exactly, exactly how we, how people went about it, because I think that's informative for, um, for people. And so in that vein, I'd like to talk about your quote unquote method. And sure. I'd like to ask specifically about the broad question is, Hey, how did you learn Chinese? But obviously that's such a broad question. So maybe you could like take us back to a point in time, perhaps um, either just before going to Taiwan or where you were when you just arrived in Taiwan, when you were still kind of actively learning Chinese, describe your method as, 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 as best you can, how you would spend oh, most of your study time. Sure. Yeah. Most of my study time was definitely what I just said. It was like, it was, it was just, it was all rote memorization. I, but sorry, oh, not specifically of, not specifically of characters, but rather of the yeah, language just as a whole. Speaking. So, yeah, so, so I, I'll, I'll, I'll talk a little bit, um, I'll sort of, um, broaden, broaden that idea a little bit. Um, the, the primary thing, and I, I say this in videos too, what worked for me, um, in the beginning, and I think to this day, it, it's really served me well, and it's still how I go about learning, um, is I've always made the emphasis the vocabulary words. That's always been the emphasis for me. That's always been the foundation for me. I find that grammar, especially with Chinese, because Chinese grammar is not really that complex. Um, you know, it's nothing like any Latin based languages. It's much more simple than that. So I think the grammar sort of that, that comes, I think that comes sort of with it, the, the more exposed to Chinese you are. So I think that the primary thing you should be focusing your, the majority of your attention on is building up a foundation of um, vocabulary words, building up an arsenal of vocabulary words. And that means, of course, as I just said, rote memorizing characters, but also rote memorizing the sounds that go along with those characters. Um, so, you know, I would write out my characters, but then I would also, next to the characters, write out my pinyin. I would write out my romanization of everything, and I would write the, the, the tone on it as well. And so after writing it 500 times, I didn't just know what it meant. I know how to say it as well. So I would say it over and over and over again. I would say, I, I would say the, the pinyin. I would say it with the correct tones, and I would do that over and over and over again. And um, w what I found happens is over time, when you build a foundation of vocabulary words like this, you can express yourself fairly decently. Even if your sentences don't really make very much sense, if you can say five important, if you can say the five most important words in that sentence, people are pretty, pretty much going to be able to get you what you want or give you what you want, or understand your idea, particularly, particularly at the beginning when you're only explaining fairly simple ideas. Um, and over time, you know, as you start accumulating vocabulary in this way, um, you're able to express more complex ideas. And I would say that is where the vocabulary comes in, just so you can succinctly express yourself with the vocabulary you have accumulated. Um, it is important to have some emphasis on, uh, grammar, but I would say I spent probably about 20 to 30 minutes a day, um, going over different grammar patterns. I would probably take 20, 30 minutes a day and go over, go over two, three, four grammar patterns. 
Um, and then I would spend the rest of my time, which would be something like four hours through two, three, four, sometimes five hours, um, just accumulating these vocabulary lists for myself. And basically the more of these words you accumulate, the more you can sort of switch them out, uh, in these grammar patterns that you have already learned as well. And how long in terms of months or years did you follow this pattern of simply rote memorizing vocabulary? Oh, I still do it to this day. I still do it. Um, it, it, it works for me. It works for me. I think, um, I do not think there in my, in, in, in my experience, everyone's brain is different. I know there are a lot of different methods in which people learn things, but for me, I, I just think nothing, there is, there is nothing better than just putting the work in. And, um, for me, rote memorization is just the best way to do that. Um, I guess now what I will sometimes do is if there are a few words I'm not clear on, because as I said, I do have speaking practice with teachers online every day, practically every day. Not necessarily, probably, that's a bit of an exaggeration, probably like three times. No, it is every day. It's usually three, four. Yeah, it, it depends on the week. It depends on the week. Like this week, for example, I was quite busy. It was just twice this week, but usually it's five times a week. Um, so if there are a few characters that I'm not, not characters, but if there are a few words I'm a little unclear on, I'll talk to my teacher about them. She'll explain the difference and I will try to use them contextually in whatever it is we're talking about. So I do do that now. That is a change. I didn't used to do that before. Um, but to this day when I'm learning new words, if my teacher gives me a new word, I don't know, you know, I copy and paste it, put it into Anki. Uh, when I'm going over my words, when I'm studying my characters, when I'm studying my new vocabulary words later that night or whenever I have some free time, I, um, I'll have my notebook out and um, I'll write it over and over again. I'll say it out loud with the, with the opinion and the correct, um, the, the correct tone. That method has been, that has been a foolproof method, method for me. It's always worked. Um, so that's what I keep keep doing. It's just rote memorization when I have my individual study time and, um, putting that rote memorized material to good use when I'm, um, in class practicing my speaking with my teachers. What's been the role of reading and listening in your Chinese? Oh, that's a good question. So that is actually something that's changed as well. When I first started and for a very long time, I would focus mostly on reading and writing. Um, and now it's, it's, it's very much 50, 50, I would say. So probably 60, 40, I still probably focus the majority of my attention on, um, reading and writing and learning new characters, new vocabulary words. But, um, I do a lot more listening now too. So sometimes it's active listening, sometimes it's passive listening. Um, but what I will do is I'll just turn something on, you know, a Chinese TV show, you know, like a, like a drama or something like that. And I'll just have that on in the background when I'm doing something, when I'm cooking or folding laundry or something like that. Or sometimes I'll actively participate and I'll actively watch it and I'll be watching it with a notebook or something. So if they say a word, I do not know, I can write it down, look it up and I'll put it into my database to study later. Um, but that's been very helpful. I, I think the, 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 the listening, um, to a lot of different material online, Chinese material online, as well as listening to my teachers speak, 
um, has been very helpful for me. So I would say probably the breakdown, as I said, would be 60-40. Probably 40% of my time is spent on um, listening practice. And I would actually like to amp that up quite a bit if, if I could. I just haven't been able to as of yet. So interesting. Um, okay, last question then. I'd like to know after yes. all of this, um, can you tell us how, uh, what Chinese means to you in your life these days? How you oh. use it? Um, what's, yeah, to, to, to tell us about how you, how Chinese kind of, uh, how you coexist with Chinese, what you use it for, what it means to you. Oh, yeah. I, I, uh, now, at this point, I use it for, I use it for everything now because, um, from my YouTube channel, there's uh, a lot of different opportunities have arisen with um, different uh, with uh, different Chinese uh, brands, different Chinese TV stations, things like that. Um, so now I'm actually starting to do a lot of work and and business related activity using using Chinese. Um, of course, sometimes it, a lot of the business related stuff, sometimes I do still speak English because business stuff can be still be a little bit difficult for me. Um, but I'm doing, I'm conducting a lot of business in Chinese now. Um, because that's a, a lot of my work is coming from, you know, as I said, like different Chinese companies, I'm doing a concert at the end of September, for example. Um, and that whole thing is being discussed in Chinese. Um, so at this point in my life, it's very, very important. It's very crucial because without it, I don't think I would even, I, I wouldn't have the, 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 small little business that I'm, uh, that I'm running. I wouldn't have all of these opportunities. Um, so I, I use it, I use it now almost every day. Um, and of course, personally, it's very important to me just because I, I love it. You know, professionally it's become important, but personally, I just, I just, I love speaking it. I love learning. I love practicing. So um, the fact that now I can use it more and more in my everyday life, um, although it's challenging, um, it, 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 it makes me, it makes me genuinely very happy as well. Well, listen, thanks so much for, for coming on the show. It's been, it's yes. been super interesting to, um, to, to talk with you. And, and I, and I mean, I mean that very much, um, tell people where they can go to find out more about you. Yes, of course. Um, if you guys are interested in learning a little bit more about me, as I said, I have two channels. One is more language-based, language-focused. That's JJ Says. That's just JJ Says. And if you're interested in hearing me and sometimes my mom sing in Chinese, you can look up JJ Sings. I wonder what's next. Yeah. After JJ Says, JJ Sings, JJ Writes, yeah. maybe? A lot, of people have made yeah, a lot of people have made jokes about that. I'm going to have to... JJ Dances. I know I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to do some brainstorming see what I can come up with. Yeah. But I've, 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 I've a lot of people have made that joke. Like what's, what's next JJ. <laughs> well, we so. await with bated breath. So thanks so much again. And uh, yeah, I look forward to next time. Yes. Yes. yes, yes thank, thank you so you much. So it was so nice, so nice speaking, speaking with you, Ollie. You know, on this podcast, we spend a lot of time talking about quite advanced concepts and ideas in language learning, but I also have a series of courses, which are for beginners because actually more often than not, people come to me and say, look, Ollie, I just want to learn this new language as a complete beginner. I want to learn Spanish or learn Japanese or learn French. You know, what do you have for me? And this is why over the last few years or so, I've been developing out this series of courses, which, you know, I, everyone claims their method is the best, right? So all I'm going to say about these courses is that I've created these courses the way that I would like to learn a new language myself if I were starting out from the beginning. So, you know, it's it's my thing. It's my it's what I recommend. That's as much as I can say about them. The special thing about these courses, the unique thing is that you learn through story. 
So, you know, I don't go in for any of these kind of technology gimmicks and apps and flashing lights and funny noises and things like that. I teach you through story. So right from day one, I get you reading a story in the language. You're reading, you're listening, right from the beginning, even when you don't understand very much. And then I come in and teach you through these video lessons. I help you uncover the language from the pages of the story, which is why these, course, these courses are called Uncovered Courses. Spanish Uncovered, Japanese Uncovered, Italian Uncovered. It really is a way to learn the language to a very deep level. You won't get the same instant gratification that you get from Duolingo, but what you will get is a solid foundation and thorough education in the language that is going to give you all the groundwork you need to go on to become fluent in the language. If you'd like to find out more about these, simply head over to IWillTeachYouALanguage.com and look for the Courses option in the menu bar. That's IWillTeachYouALanguage.com and click on Courses in the menu bar. That will show you all the different uh, beginner courses that we have uh, in all the various different languages. Once again, that is IWillTeachYouALanguage.com and click on Courses in the menu bar.